Game begin. Hello and welcome to Spy Colony episode 13. I am here with the Orcish Bowmaster, Michael J. Flores. And your co host, your co host, Lanny Huang, the Orcish Bow Apprentice. Uh, we're happy to bring you uh, another exciting week of pre modern talk. Um, before we get to uh, the topic at hand, archery is super fun. I had so much fun last week. Highly yeah, suggest. So- I'm so happy we had that podcast, which has resulted in us shooting archery on Sunday. I had I had such a great magical weekend last week. So on Friday, uh, I did F and M with my like childhood BFF. Like literally, we've been like attached to the hip since like age nine in Ohio. He was and ended up being one of my. Uh, I, I, he also got me into magic, kind of. Uh, ended up being one of my college roommates. who was a member of Team Discovery Channel. Etc. So we we did F and M. Just play like uh, we played Modern Horizons uh, Limited. But Mike Evans was there, and I ended up being like, "You you should play pre modern." And <laughs> you interacted with him on Twitter. I saw. Yeah, He's Mike like, Evans. Hey, you was, send me as yeah. Mike e- Evans was the um, sort of inter- I met Mike Evans before meeting a uh, friend of the podcast, Etai Kurtzman. So Mike yeah. was part of the the squad that we were doing home drafts with. Uh, back in 2019, 2018. Yeah, so he was just like, oh, can you send me a slide list? <laughs> so um, so I, I, I recruited a, I recruited a, a potential pre-modern player at that F&M. Um, and then I went out to dinner, and Jeff picked up the bill. Then you and I shot archery on Sunday, and then we, we called up David Tao, because he lives like right near the archery studio, and uh, David picked up the brunch bill. So I am, I'm like free-rolling the you magical the meals weekend and yeah then, it was awesome it's great because you were like what do you want to like do you want to do something this weekend and i was and you were just like do you want to pre-release and get food and i'm like i'd rather shoot archery and get food like i i don't care i don't care about pre-release anymore you don't care about magic yeah. I'm, I'm i'm so listen to this who moves back to ireland last week who just question who moved back to ireland last week i believe that's patrick o'halloran gannon who flew back yesterday to pre-release two-headed giant with me tomorrow why did he go back to Ireland? <laughs> he literally flew right back. I don't know. Maybe he needed to move into his dorm in like a three-day window or something. Yeah, I don't like know. That. He'll probably explain it to me, but I'll be like, focus on the game, Pog. Because we're, we're too at a gianting. Yeah. That's that's going to be prison rules, as you know. Yeah. Pre-releases are... are you, you, you hold yourself up by the teeth at a pre-release. That's a deadly, deadly tournament. Uh, yeah. You know, no holds barred. Um. And then what happened on Tuesday? Oh, well, okay. So this is a story. You said to me, hey, do you want to just play test at the meetup? Uh, you know, like in between rounds or whatever. So I made a deck. Uh, and it, you know, it took me, it, it, t- it takes a while to dig through your collection and put together, uh, you know, it, you know, carefully curate the different mismatched siege gang commanders you might play, for example. Spent like an hour or two making this Goblins deck, which is uh, 74 out of 75 Jared Doucette's deck. Uh, I did play a Red Elemental Blast because I have a weird printing of one. Um, and so, uh, instead of a Pyro Blast. So, uh, so I made this deck and I was just like, I might as well just play it if I spent all this time making it. Um, and we can play this anyway. 
So I played it in the uh, the meetup, and uh, I guess now I'm a Goblins guy. A bunch of people messaged me separately after I posted my deck list, and they're like, so glad you've joined the Goblins clan. <laughs> like, you finally <laughs> understand the power of Gobbos. And they're like, oh, very straightforward list. I would have thought you would have tried to do something weird. You know? <laughs> These are all the messages I'm getting, right? <laughs> like, from, in some cases, pretty notable pre-modern players. Uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Gobbos guy now. Like, in some cases, I'm like, you know, this is Jerry Gusset's list. Yeah. Um, so mission accomplished uh, in two ways. Uh, you we joined the Siege Gang. Done. Uh, you know, we got some testing done, and, and I did okay to the point that so I, I really wanted to use that meetup as a testing for the 1.5k, but maybe I did because I might be a Gabos guy now. This deck is live. I mean, we got some important data from that for both uh, myself and friend of the podcast Thomas Corrado Matelski because you faced none other than You're Replenish in round three and The Rock in round four. <laughs> I did. I both of those things happened. So what we were doing was, uh, in part, so we're going to release this not in a way that it can affect the matches that are going to happen on Monday, right? So Monday night, <clears throat> I will be commentating on one of the PSS top four matches. Uh, I, I thought they'd give me both, but they only gave me one. Uh, but there's two matches. We think there's going to be goblins maybe in both matches, maybe not. Um, and uh, before the meetup, let me understand this. You were in the camp that thought that Replenish was favored against Goblins or no? Um, <clears throat> before we dove straight into testing, I thought that Replenish was favored against Goblins overall. Um, pro not by a lot, but I definitely yeah. thought it was favored. So as a Replenish player, um, yeah, I played a Replenish a lot last year. I, I played it at LobsterCon, etc., I would have said that Goblins is the absolute worst matchup. Uh, I don't understand players like Rich Shea who think that Goblins is unfavored against Replenish. Um, Goblins has literally every tool that is poison for Replenish. This is not to say that Replenish can't win. I just think it's literally its worst matchup. So um, Goblins has a good clock. Other decks have a good clock, uh, but it combines a good clock with multiple points of disruption uh at, and it's not that any one of those points of disruption is necessarily lethal though some could be uh it's just that they kill you in like a turn or two which is different from the rock right so the rock has very similar disruption to goblins but their best draw gives you seven turns to come back so <laughs> You often will come back. Like I, like, I watch you play these matches. We're just like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to draw deep analysis. And what are you going to do about it? You cast both sides of the deep analysis, take three. The rock on full offense does another three over the course of that turn cycle. <laughs> and then you combo them, right? Like, it's, it's, it's really, it's really uh, uh, telling because they have very, even better disruption than goblins. But on the other hand, there's decks like, mono red uh that sometimes win um against replenish especially on the play if they get like a pup draw etc they can be disruptive but goblins has this really powerful sweet spot which is really good clock really i i would just say appropriate disruption right so nobody is nobody's like writing richard garfield right or like writing martin berlin and being like you gotta ban naturalize it's too good right like well one naturalized well placed in their replenish matchup is basically the game and um jared Doucette's list in particular plays wasteland 
I don't think that Wasteland is the consensus right colorless land to play in Goblins. You could play Wasteland. You could play Rishon Port. You could play Ancient Tomb. Uh, but damn, is it good against Replenish? <laughs> that, that's, that's a good combo. Yeah, I think uh, an interesting thing to note is that Wasteland being good against Replenish uh, it, it, Wasteland's good against Replenish for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, the first, in contrast with Port, is that Replenish is actually very uh, resilient to having its lands tapped down, thanks to Frantic Search. You can just float yep. the mana in your upkeep, cast Frantic Search. Um, but two, having something like an Ancient Tomb removed, it, it doesn't, it's not like, it, it really is like a double a double strip mine. It feels like a two for one because replenish is so dependent on that mana from that ancient tomb uh, that yeah, because a, your, ancient your tomb stuff is all four, right? Exactly. Like, you get like stone rain not from four to three, but from four to two. Exactly. And that's like that's really powerful. The other thing that I that I thought was relevant was that um, whatever deck Jared Doucette plays uh, on Tuesday night at nine p.m. on the Cloud Goat Ranger. Uh, he is going to have on-the-play advantage, right? So one of the things that I like best about pre-modern is that whoever has played isn't at nearly uh, as much of an advantage as in contemporary magic, right? Like, it, you, could, you know, winning a bunch of coin flips is, that's how you win RCQs. Uh, I know for I know from experience that's how you win RCQs, right? Like I look back at all the store tournaments I've won and RCQs, PPTQs, uh, whatever, whatever uh, premieres they used to be called. I mean, a lot of the time I just literally won four four rolls and then I'd play in the top eight or something, right? It doesn't matter that much in pre-modern unless you're goblins. <laughs> if you're goblins, that ability to play first turn goblin lackey, especially if the opponent doesn't have uh, a sorts of plowshares, it could be game right there. If you think about it from the opposite side, going first isn't that great for the rock. It's just fine. But if the rock goes first, they can deploy a wall of blossoms or in some builds a wall of roots before the opponent can attack with a goblin lackey for the first time. And that's literally the game, right? Like you just didn't lose immediately because if you get hit by that goblin lackey on turn two, bad stuff can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. <clears throat> Um, that final angle of the of the, the naturalize um, was pretty potent because uh, some percentage of the time, my ability to stay in the game uh, was just entirely based on resolving and and protecting a parallax wave. Yeah, and so I parallax. could play a parallax, like even against a lackey draw, if I play a parallax wave on turn three, I can actually survive <laughs> to hopefully, hopefully pair that with an opalescence. So the fact that you can then naturalize um, the wave um, or you know if I present the wave in the opalescence first you can naturalize the opalescence the fact that you can do those things uh, puts me in a very difficult position and I, I'm, I'm comfortable leaking this now because this will be after I don't play replenish against Jared and Tom Tom has played a lot of uh, against me uh, with various sex versus replenish it's in the testing gauntlet <clears throat> the card economy of, of replenish is extremely tight when you win, you win with absolutely no, no resource to spare. So every single time you get wastelanded or naturalized <laughs> yeah. or anything, you've spent so much of your time like looting and crafting well, and intuition. That's just because of how you made your deck to be fast. Like when I played it, 
I made my deck to last, right? Like, I played cards like Thawing Glaciers and Abeyance and Factor Fiction. You played cards like Mox Diamond. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Like I, I would say that in game ones. Like, once you have access to Deep Analysis, then you can play a grindy game. You can play an enormously grindy game. You can draw 10 cards. But The, yeah, the um, thing that's weird about <clears throat> Replenish is that if it gets even two-thirds of its combo going, it's a, it's infinite on at least one axis. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's, that's the thing. You're just like, well, you're out of resources. You're kind of out of resources, but you have infinite toughness. For yeah, like, you, you, can, an, you can do... You have an infinite mana engine, right? right? right. Like, that's the... Well, yeah, I mean, that's always been the... And that's, that's the reason why we play Parallax Replenish rather than Pandemonium Replenish. It's just simply that any combination of two Parallax enchantments or two of your enchantments in play is a pretty good spot to be. If you have Tide Wave, your opponent has no permanence. You can hopefully find some time uh, to get the rest of your stuff together. If you have tied opalescence you've got your opponent has no lands you got a 4-4 that can hold hold down the fort and then of course if you have opalescence and wave you have an unkillable 4-4 with vigilance and your opponent so, has no creatures so so obviously the only interesting match to talk about from tuesday for the purposes of our podcast today is the round three match that i had against l huang barton L standing for Legolas over here. <laughs> so Legolas sits down across from me, asks if we want to play for 20, and we dissemble a little bit. I win the roll, and he rescinds the <laughs> he rescinds the let's play for 20 <laughs> before it's agreed to. Um so did so you're on the you're on the draw in game one. I don't have a goblin lackey to open up game one. Uh my my reminiscence of this is really is really fun. Uh, it's around turn five or maybe turn four if you had a soul land, I don't remember. You have an opalescence in play. Uh, you cast a parallax wave, just start moving things around and waving your hand. Like you're like, wave out all your guys permanently, like untap this, and you're just doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that hasn't resolved yet. <laughs> I'm like, naturalize your opalescence. You're like, okay, game two. <laughs> so, and then in game two, did you mulligan in game two? I think you did. Right? I don't really recall. I mean, in game two, I probably like multi six, had to keep a hand that didn't have plow. You kept a hand without plow, and I killed you on the third. Game, turn, game right? one, what actually happened was I was I put you were you kind of had some goblins in play, and we were yeah. just we were battling, and on a crucial turn, I just didn't run out of mox diamond to hold sorts of plowshares up, so I could oh, plow a warchief. Oh, because you wanted to play by prison rules. Yeah, yeah. So I started like I it, like, like it, like in a pre-release. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. a two-headed giant pre-release. I was yeah. like, oh, let's play tight. I got to play tight against Jared. Jared already gave me like a monumental take back in the Swiss. I don't want to ask him for that. So uh, I was like, let's play tight. And then I like passed the turn. And then I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I was like, wait, I meant to play this box. I like look at my hand. There's a mox. There's a, oh, yeah, there's so, a sword supply. So you wouldn't have necessarily been blown out by the naturalizer. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like what that had happened like a turn prior, and then I was just playing towards like a replenish or something at a, at a later point. Um, but yeah, you just overwhelmed me, and it, you you killed me over two turns. You you had a war chief turn, uh, you know, untapped, played another war chief, played some pile drivers. I just like couldn't time the sorts of plowshares, um, and uh, you know, the goblin stick is so interesting. It can deal four damage a turn, or it can deal uh, twenty damage over one uh, over two turns. So, and both of those things can happen, uh, you know, with the same hand, depending on the situation. Um, <clears throat> we, we then, uh, ran it a few times. Our, our testing results were pretty interesting because we played a lot of game ones where I was able to sneak out a win. I was winning approximately half of game ones. We were mostly like, well, 
I guess. But maybe that's because I'm loose, right? Yeah, you're just, tend- you're just keeping any hand. Yeah, you, yeah. so you would tend to not win the games that I drew Goblin Lackey. Yeah. Right? So I think we played like our first seven games I hadn't played a Goblin Lackey. Yeah, so. it was it was a lot so. of games. I mean, initially, my analysis was, I'm like, okay, I don't dislike my game one range because I feel like if we both have average hands, then my average hands beats your average hands. If you have Goblin Lackey, you win. But if you have Goblin Lackey and I have Plow, then we're back in situation, the first situation, which is like, okay, now we're both decks that are six cards with average hands. Do you like the uh, play pattern of first turn Skirk Prospect or second turn Goblin Warchief? That was a big deal in Standard when Goblins, this this version of Goblins was legal in Standard. I don't see people doing that a lot in pre-modern. I I personally don't, uh, don't feel like the juice is worth a squeeze um, unless your immediate follow-up on turn three is a lot of pile drivers. Yeah, so the, re- for the, pile driver. re- the reason that that play pattern is so good is if you have multiple pile drivers, you just kill them on the third turn. Yeah. Right? So, <clears throat> um, so uh, this is how I sideboarded against you. I took out three gem plum incinerators, two mog fanatics, and a goblin sharpshooter, right? Which is quite a few goblins, right? I took out six goblins. But I sided in two Hull Breach, two Naturalized, and two Tranquil Domain. Notably, I did not side in Tormod's Script. Let us discuss. Um, so my opinion uh, is twofold. One, for the purpose of, of, of like trying to solve the matchup, I think that not siding in Tormod's Script is taking a very big shot that you're going to not like. You're you're basically saying. I will lose to gear one out of replenish. Um, uh, did you bring in any copies of the blue blasts? <clears throat> red blasts? Yeah, red According blasts. According to my notes, I did not, right? Yeah. So, but I would have, I, I would have, um, I super just, uh, yeah, I did not. Yeah. So I took uh, a picture of what I sideboarded, so it must have been true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Uh, in, in any case, um, I think that uh, we we ended up. I ended up testing this with Tom a lot, and Tom arrived at sort of a full like half measure sideboard where he brought in two of the three crypts, two pyroblasts, two tranquil domain. He left the whole breaches at home. Uh, he also took out the incinerators. Uh, I of course was going to pivot to my angel plan. Um, yeah, and then he took out you know tinker or whatever nonsense. Took out one ringleader, um, and so yeah, but my- you have mox diamond. Uh, yeah, but I think that, uh, you know, the idea of the Tinker interacting with Mox Diamond in a way that would matter would either involve playing it on turn two and tapping it on turn three, which is not particularly fast. That's like, you know, a two turn Stone Rain, uh, you know, attempt or using Goblin Matron to get it when you could use Goblin Matron to just win the game. So my thought process in leaving Tinkerer in is. A, it can have haste in the mid game, but B, a big part of my calculus is I'm taking a lot of goblins out of my deck. There's like a finite number of goblins that you can take out of your deck before your ringleaders stop having very much text. That's one thing. And then secondly, I think a big part of my game plan is restricting your mana, right? Like, isn't that the whole point with like winning a mana war with Lackey versus Wasteland? 
uh, you know, against your forecasting cost well, it's, stuff. It's different when we're in post sideboard and I can, um, I can choose to like one of the things that I do with my Mox Diamond decks is that I only deploy Mox Diamonds when, when I intend to use them, right? So uh, in, in the scenario where I go Ancient Tomb, turn one, you know, Island, Mox Diamond, Parallax, High, turn two, like I'm going to cash in that Mox Diamond right away. Uh, or you, like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just miss a land drop. I'll just hold land Mox Diamond in my hand because I know if I draw a land, then I'll, I'll use that Mox the next turn uh, and just not expose my Mox to removal if I can help it. So, you know, I think that your tinker strategy puts us in a game that's much slower. And in a game that's much slower, I can just play the land and loot the mocks away uh, if it feels like, you know, the if it feels like you're going to give me time to do that. So mocks to me it's is... It's possible I didn't sideboard optimally. And the thing that is maybe bad is, are we going to be at the assumption that if Jared Doucette is bringing his goblin sec, which we think he is going to do, uh, that he would bring in Tormod script and I didn't. So that's bad testing. Yeah. I mean, it's bad testing, but you did it. You, we only, we were playing game ones for the majority of the day. And then <laughs> it wasn't until we were, we were paired in the actual, uh, meetup that you, that you sideboarded with the deck and you were sideboarding to win the meetup, not sideboarding to help me test, uh, the matchup versus Jared. So, well, I think winning the meetup does help you test the matchup against Jared because it taught you an important lesson, which is that replenish is not in fact, <laughs> favored at all i reached against out goblins. <laughs> uh I, I took an opportunity to reach out to peter smith who uh i uh, of course played against in the top eight of lobster con he made the top eight with goblins and yeah. he shared on will's podcast that he he also really didn't like the goblins matchup uh or sorry the replenish matchup for goblins uh because you know if if replenish is in in gear one uh, if Replenish is executing on the Replenish plan, Goblins is not particularly good against that. But of course, the Replenish plan is pretty hard to execute if you have your mana disrupted, and if you time a few bl blue blasts, or maybe you draw your Tormont's Crypt, well, or you, you have pressure. Yeah, my thought process is, I'll lose all the games that you win the lottery. Yeah. Right? But, but, I don't, but maybe not all of them, right? Like, you could win some of the lottery, and you still get blown up by a Tranquil game. Right? That, exactly. That happens. You know? So... I, I'll tell you a thing. I had a conversation this morning with Binary Soloist, who I've become buddies with over uh, Twitter, uh, and he's a, uh, you know, joining the pre-modern community. Played in some monthly cam stuff, uh, and he never played Paper Magic before. We started being buddies on Twitter, uh, and he's, you know, burn guy similar to me. Uh, and he described a situation. He says because we were talking about. I, I'm a huge Eidolon of the Great Revel fan in modern and. All the idiots have cut it for Skullcrack, which is an unplayable card. Uh, it, it's literally an unplayable card, and they're cutting a very good card uh, for it. And he says to me, well, you know, we're talking about this in context of, I think, historic. And he says, if I play an Eidolon and my opponent Fatal pushes it, then it was just Viashino Pyromancer. That's what he said. And I said, well, that's great. But you're wrong. It's not just Viashino Pyromancer, which is like a two-mana, two-power creature that is just two damage to your opponent. It was Fiashino Pyromancer plus Duress, right? That's really good, you know? Um, and he's just like, well, people think that's a bad result. And I'm like, that's why they don't win. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great result, right? Like, I don't understand. Like, how is this your mindset? Yeah, that, we're like, going to have to revisit the like, philosophy of fire like, for the binary solos of the world. play a card, you discard <clears throat> your relevant removal card and take two damage? Like, 
I, I won the lottery on that exchange, right? Like, how greedy do you have to be to not, like, making your opponent discard their relevant removal card and take two damage, you know? Um, so anyway, and it's just like you stole a mana back at the same time. It's not like just a, this two mana, this sort of thing. Uh, but I don't know, maybe I'm not keyed into the goblins, right? I feel like if Smiths also feels this way, I, I don't know. Like I, I know from the replenish side that everything can go right for replenish outside of outright winning the game, right? Like, because the thing about replenish is you get close to winning the game a bunch of different ways, but you still have to go through the motions for a few turns. It's really common for you to have like a parallax wave and an opalescence, and you pretty much can't lose to creatures now, but you could still lose, right? Like your opponents, they're basically on a four or five turn clock when that happens, so you have to. They can't block, right? So blocking's not going to be a problem. But uh, they're, they're on a four or five turn clock, but they might still burn you out. Like, in order for you to have gotten to that point, stuff had to happen, and that often involved tapping an Ancient Tomb or a bunch of Adarkar Waste. You can lose the game, right? Yeah, so I mean, well, let's talk about uh, what people don't seem to understand about Replenish, which is that uh, Replenish is a combo deck that can be very explosive, but it's, it's key... Like comp, its core competency as a combo deck is that it—it's—it has inevitability where uh, really no other combo deck like has has inevitability, right? So like mo if you take a long game between replenish and any black mid range deck, uh, any non blue mid range deck, and like a good portion of control decks, like control at least is a little bit closer, but like post sideboard or just like with the threat of playing you know infinite uh, parallax tides to to pressure the control deck. Um, the replenish, you know, uniquely does not get worse as your uh, as your opponent, you know, like draws out the game. And so, I think that what's happening with these goblins players is that their perception is just like, well, what am I supposed to do if they cast replenish? Like, what am I supposed to do if they cast frantic search replenish? Yeah, but like, which is like their, their replenish might not even be that good. Exactly, but right? like but, it's just like a sweet two for one. But that's something. their that's their thought. It's just that like. Uh, I, I think they, they can kind of see, like, they look at the deck list and they're just kind of like, they forget that in order for you to lace together a successful replenish, you need you need a lot of things to happen. You need um, uh, either an intuition-related line to, to get stuff into your hands. It's you need not just four that, mana. You, still, you still need, like, a careful study to complete the line. Well, no, I mean, I uh, okay, so we'll, I'll just explain this in Stark Turns, right? So... If you have nothing except for lands, intuition, and replenish, you can intuition, hopefully a soul land, right? You can intuition on turn two and replenish on turn three. And if you intuition yeah. for one of each enchantment, your opponent has to choose between uh, three realities. One is opalescence wave, one is opalescence tide, and one is tide wave. Goblins against um, any of these is their best bet is to give you Opalescence Wave and hopefully they have a board, or sorry, Opalescence Tide and hopefully they have a board to attack through the Tide because your, your next turn you're going to complete the combo and lock out the game. So that's a very potent line. Yeah, so Opalescence Tide <laughs> is great because protection from blue. Uh, right, right. I mean, it's great for, yeah, yeah, the, if the Goblin's card I mean, has great a is relative, right? Yeah, you're yeah. probably going to lose. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of great. So anyways, so that's, that's like a two-card combo. It requires seven mana to get off, right? Three mana plus four. And a Wasteland is going to put that combo so, back a lot of turns. So, Lanny, when you say this reality, just let's talk about the mechanics of this. 
You, this dastardly combo player, a terrible person, cast the card Intuition, and you obtain the cards Parallax Wave, Parallax Tide, and Opalescence, right? So Opalescence will theoretically turn your other enchantment, any enchantments, right, whether or not you own them, uh, into creatures. They would be 4-4 creatures in this case. And then a blue enchantment that messes up land and a white enchantment that messes up creatures. Are you saying if I give you the white enchantment that messes up creatures, the Parallax Wave, against goblins, you wouldn't just play the wave and take four counters off of it and then untap and cast the replenish? Because that seems much better to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on what the battlefield is on turn. Like, if I'm on the draw, so you've completed your turn three, uh, I mean, this is why I'm, I'm so in a I, bad I situation to start with, the, is like, if you've completed your turn three, you're going to untap and play your turn four. Then in, on my turn three, I absolutely have to cast Parallax Wave because most of the time I'll be facing down. Well, know, yeah, the, I think the optimal split there is to give you the opalescence because... Uh, I think the natural play is for you to is to replenish, which will give you. I mean, these are bad situations for a goblin. Like none but of this is, is the best. I, like I'm the only reason I'm explaining this is because this is the best case scenario. This is where you have four total mana um, on turn three. On turn on turn three, correct, and you have exactly intuition and replenish. So. The rest of the lines are basically blends of careful study, attunement, some number of enchantments. So like when you don't have the intuition, when you don't have the intuition to to tie everything together, you're stuck looking for things the old-fashioned way. And your deck can deliver you any number of these enchantments in any number of orders in, in ways that you, you have to work around. This is actually like but some the of them core. are not very attractive. Yeah, the, some it, of them are very under pressure. Very strange. And this is actually the core uh, difficulty of playing the replenish deck, which is uh, you have to play uh, the range of your top decks. You have to like be like, okay, am I looting this away to set up for a later replenish, or do I need to actually start putting this t together to start hard casting spells? So I, but basically, I, can I interrupt uh, you about replenish for a second, just game plan wise. Yeah, sure. I think that where replenish excels uh, and why it, it's an attractive combo deck to me versus a deck like full english breakfast which is faster or like hermit not which is faster uh is that it has this outstanding second gear uh especially against control where you can just start laying out three and four casting cost enchantments and your opponent really has to be like i'm gonna let this opalescence resolve and if i do what happens you start getting attacked by seal of cleansings you know like and yeah, like the, the reality just changes. So, or, so they start countering these things and they become increasingly vulnerable to replenish. It sounds to me like maybe I sideboarded wrong based on just what we said because if replenish is getting most of its equity out of a combination of winning the lottery and gear one, which is what you know I'm going to play as a combo deck, maybe I should be trying to circumvent gear one. I agree. Right? I think uh, it's too, within reason. So you weren't bringing in Tormod's Crypts because you wanted to have some, some amount of pressure in your deck. And so basically, you just have to balance. I think a balance of Tormod's Crypt, Blue, Blue Blast, and um, Naturalize Effects essentially covers all your bases. All of those are sort of half effective during various parts. Like Blue Blast, or sorry, Red Blast can, can slice out an intuition that the Replenished player absolutely needs to win. But it Tormod's can't Crypt stop can. you from just like hard casting your white enchantments. Exactly, but... but uh, if you're going to hard cast your white enchantments, then you can use your naturalizes to shore up that line. That's and what then, I wanted to stop. You know, I think right. I feel like your deck can basically only win if the card opalescence is in play, right? So, um, well, luckily I, mean, I have Exalted Angel, but <laughs> that's yeah. Right. So I think Exalted Angel is actively medium against goblins. Yeah, um, I mean, I, it's very good. I mean, let's. 
I don't want to like what I want to emphasize is that this is a, a really awesome matchup. Goblins is definitely favored, but in, in my testing, I went ahead and I tested uh, four additional matches with Tom. And in each yeah. match, uh, pre-board and post-board, we played every kind of game. We played Goblins as a control. We played Goblins as a beatdown. We played Replenish as a control. Replenish as a beatdown. We played Exalted Angel attacking for the win. We played Exalted Angel just to block Goblin Lackey. So like, literally, he played night. Goblin Lackey turn one. And I'm like, okay, Exalted Angel turn two. Like, it's just there to block like I flipped it the next turn I didn't even attack with it, it just like was there to block for like three or four turns in, until I could lace together a replenish hand so last night on the team chat you and Tom played a match and that was the finals of some tournament I didn't yeah. realize this well, I thought you guys were just so, testing or something so, and so Tom was on the play with goblins right yeah he annihilated me I mean and I, you were I had replenish and he browned you yeah, I, I mulliganed uh, quite a bit, and I just like had I had no kind of hand basically. And uh, replenish is a deck that doesn't mulligan very well if it's playing against the potential of of wasteland basically. And um, in our testing, what what we what I also found out, which Tom didn't know, is that if Tom would do this thing where he would like hang on to his wastelands, he's like, oh, I need three or four mana so that I can play Goblin Ringleader. Or he'd hang on to his naturalizes. I need to use this naturalize so that I can, you know, catch an opal essence later. If he know, saw man. my hand, he could just waste immediately, naturalize it, every mox on site, and then I just like could never in win. Game one, he sacrifices goblins to skirk prospectors. So we naturalize your mox at the end of turn. I thought it was just like very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was well. That was that was when it was deterministic that I'd lose. Yeah. I'd lose without the mox, but. When it's even when it's non-deterministic, the mana disruption is very good because again, replenish is really tight on resources. But the the thing that I want to point out is that every kind of game could be played against these two decks, and um, because of that, Goblin sort of needs a blend of tools to work with. Like you can't just be Tormod's. Like if you draw all Tormod's crypt, right? Like like Mike is saying, you lose like, to the hard cast. You'll lose to the hard cast, and then you can't be all you know Red Blast because same thing. But they also Blast can't be all naturalized setups, right? They don't stop the. The thing that I think I had in my head was that they're mana efficient because if you if you trade a red blast for a intuition, that's pretty good. If you trade a red blast for a frantic search, it's not very good. It's, um, it's, it's no, fine. it's still good. Actually, both plays both plays steal three mana from their replenish player. Yeah. So, uh, but I was thinking they just stop setups versus like tranquil domain stops you if you've, even if you've already gotten there, and that's kind of what I was. Well, I'm like all right, I want to beat him so, even if he gets there. So Tranquil Domain uh, operates in this case like a deflecting palm because if I play towards oh really if, if I you said that towards, to me I would not have played it exactly you know so if I, I play towards yeah if I play towards a double opalescence um, or actually if I sorry if I play towards full combo right say you pass the turn and for whatever yeah. reason you had to tap that Carpluzen Forest because you needed to play a four or five casting cost goblins right I have four plows post board so I took care of the lackey plan you've been wastelanding me you're tight on mana. So you have a choice: hold up Tranquil Domain against my open mana, oh, or play. This sounds even more like a skull crack. Yeah, or a skull crack. Yeah, skull crack or <laughs> deflecting, a deflecting palm. palm. Right? So you're like, well, I need this Goblin Ringleader, <laughs> but I also need to hold up this wow. Tranquil Domain for the rest this of the game. This is blowing my mind. Because at any I don't point, know anymore. Yeah, because at any point in time, right on your end step, I can just cast Intuition. I can get my this Rainbow of Enchantment. The I mathematical, mathematical equivalent of dividing by zero but I, I can't use divide by zero as a because the magic a, card now <laughs> is actually the name of a magic card and people are like what do you mean is he going to his side do you get, like, yeah, no you <laughs> if you decide divide by zero you can't do it that's not a possibility in math 
it makes an infinity going up if you do you not do you not go to school do you know because they're like oh i think it costs you and two like, it's, a, it's a kind of like a reman die just die um in any case uh you know, you can see where this is going. So are you just going to leave up G1? Because if at any point you tap out, then I get to tide combo you um, to cut off all your G and, and then that tranquil number. I deserve it. I deserve it. Yeah. So it's very difficult from the goblin side, but if you have like a good mix of tools, you can deal with a good mix of threats. But at the end of the day, Wasteland becomes the, the absolute most powerful threat uh, that, or answer that you have access to because catching that Wasteland two for one, like Replenish needs every single one of its lands. Like, Basic lands aren't good in Replenish because you need to lace together UU2 and WW2 and you've got a bunch of colorless lands in your deck. Um, so those wastelands are, are almost always, like, they're much more effective than just wastelanding somebody's, uh, you know, Caves of Coelos or, or Llanowar Wastes or, or Mishra's Factory or whatever. Like, they, they, they do double damage effectively. So, um, but, but that's what makes everything, I, honestly, I think... Um, uh, if we're going to talk about like really awesome decks to jam against each other in pre-modern, actually Replenish versus Goblins ends up being a really cool one because it's close. Tom and I split matches 2-2. Two, two. Um, Tom won most game ones. So I won 2-1 each time, but he won 2-0 each time he won. Um, so <laughs> so for what it's worth in like a best of five scenario, like Tom definitely has the edge. And and then overall, like game, you know, game score wise, Tom, Tom has a 6-4 or a uh, yeah a six to four edge um but um I, th I thought it was a really cool matchup and and uh unfortunately there was like there's a lot of variance involved but there's a lot of navigating involved and yeah but the, the where, where, where we land going first yeah where did we land <laughs> where we landed was um i i just simply cannot risk running replenish into jared's goblins jared being on the play me with just two sorts of plowshares like if i have four plows main if those two seal of cleansings were just like plows instead and i just like left those seals in the sideboard oh like, my god man i would look so much better but but you don't but i don't i don't have four plows so i can't mold to plow um to kind of set it's me like up we, in a good spot so we were playing those matches last night and tom's just like well if i didn't have this card you think i should mulligan and i was like but you have the card so no <laughs> what was the card uh phyrexian rager Oh my god. <laughs> you should I had still to keep my hand on a Rager. You still had to mulligan. So okay, to the to the listeners, this is uh, I've won game one using goblins. So uh transitioning to our PSS, Rich Shea also has access to the goblins deck. Nobody on our team except for a soul Lanny Huang thinks that Rich Shea could ever pull out goblins against Tom's lineup of the rock, wait, wait, blue white dreadnought. Can, can we pause for a Lord second Lansdale. because my story is better than whatever you're gonna say. Okay, fine. Okay. So Rich Shea's three decks are Goblins, Blue White 12-12. I think his Blue White 12-12 deck is worse than Tom's in the Abstract, but it's very good in the Blue White 12-12 Mirror, right? I think we're on agreement on that. Correct. And his third deck is, of course, because he's Rich Shea, Mono White, Five Parche. Color White. Parche. Parche, yeah. right? So Tom's three decks are Goblins. I'm sorry, not Goblins. Uh, the Rock, Lanny Rock. Blue White 12 12. Again, I think he has the better list, but it's worse uh, in the heads up. And Landstill, right, which has like a lot of the recent innovations uh, that have been built into Landstill by Landy Ho and others, right? So, and, you know, Brian Selden, et cetera, uh, David Daniel. 
So I looked at these two deck lineups and I was just like, oh shoot, I've come to a conclusion about which deck Tom should play, right? But I didn't trust myself. <laughs> so I called up Zvi Mashowitz, Pro Tour Hall of Famer, Zvi Mashowitz, who, if you know anything about Zvi's professional background, uh, you would understand why I called Zvi Mashowitz. Side note, Zvi was the one who taught me to never play the rock, right? So <laughs> these two things are things you should know. Zvi taught me to never play the rock, and then he also, um, you know, he's, he's taught statistics at Columbia is one of the main, many, many jobs he's had that are highly quantitative. He walks it. He's already gotten to the, to the, to the goal line before I finished describing the, uh, the context. He says to me, you know what the right answer is, right? And I said, yes. He's like, do you want me to say it? And I said, well, you don't have to say it. I, I understand. <laughs> and he said, I wouldn't say it. And that deck wouldn't be in my lineup. But given what we did, he's like, and he clarifies, he's like, Rich Chase is a very good player, but you know his deck lists, right? I'm like, yeah, you have lists, right? We're not shooting in the dark. I'm like, not only do we have lists, but he doesn't have Winter Orb or Armageddon in his 12-12 deck, <laughs> right? So, and um, he's like, the answer is obvious about what deck to play. It wouldn't be on my lineup. <laughs> but once you've got it, there is only one choice. By the way, Rich also knows this. It was the second thing that Zvi said. Yep, that's true. Rich does know this. Um, the, the 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 only choice is the rock, and of course, um, we so like here here's here's something that I think nobody has apologized to me for, which I which I would like to ask for. <laughs> oh, you apology. you need an apology? I, I would like How to about get for me. I would I'm, like I'm to get an up. apology because the prior week on the PSS, I shuffle up. I've got my replenish deck. Pretty excited to play my replenish deck for an entire week. All of the buds are like, "Yep, Rich Shay, he's gonna pick Parfait against you. He can't pick <laughs> any other deck. Parfait is a slam dunk. Don't because yeah, we all thought don't it play your Grotog deck, Lanny. That deck sucks. Wait, it, first of all, to be clear, it does suck." That is your blue-green... I talked to Lan about this, and he said, it's not quite blue-green stasis, but it is effectively <laughs> stasis. He and, and I shuffle up, and I, I'm like, I'm hyped. I'm going to play an easy matchup, replenish against Parfait. I've won so many times with this matchup. <laughs> play a flooded strand, pass the turn. What does Rich Shea do? He plays a Dark Waste and then Portent targeting himself, taking a damage down to 19. And like, I just knew it. I like knew. And he was just, he just said, he was like, oh, I knew you were going to play this deck. He's like, it's the only, it's the only, it was your only choice. And I was going to play from week one. I saw the schedule. I saw the decks. I'm like, I got to go three decks against three decks against Rich Hay. I am so excited to play Grotog into Goblins, Parfait, and Blue-White Dreadnought because Grotog actually has a good blended win rate against these. And I felt like I was the, and, and I am, I am the weaker player between Rich Shea and I. So I felt like I needed a slam dunk like walk of a match of Replenish against Parfait. And so I was shooting for the stars, picking Replenish, all the all the homies had my back. They're like, he's gonna pick Parfait. It's, it well, could be hit the last time he ever cast land tax in a pre-modern tournament. And of course, Rich playing to win 
just embarrasses me with dark our way supporting and nobody said nobody was like nobody's like oh sorry lanny we you know i guess it turns out that rich shay one of the greatest pre-modern players uh, in the format, also with like, a quantitative background. Yeah, with a yeah with a background, is <laughs> like MATLAB, like just I don't know, STEM dude. Like he has a PhD he's gonna, in numbers. His, yeah. yeah, his emotions are gonna take over, and he's gonna play his pet deck. <laughs> of course, he's not gonna play his deck deck. But then, what do people say about him going into this week? Is like, oh, Rich A doesn't like his goblins deck. I don't know if he's gonna pick goblins so, against but- Tom. Why wouldn't he not pick goblins against Tom if he's gonna win every single game one against tom's lineup like why he, why not i mean it's not every single game tom's on tom has on the play advantage so here's the thing this is what zv thinks right zv thinks that rich can't play can't play uh harsh so the prospect of playing against pernicious deed every single game is too daunting right um but i don't know uh rich Shea has many many wins against the rock with his parche deck just not against Tom Matelski. <laughs> so, okay. So let's. He doesn't think he can play it. Let me let's break this down strategically. So yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna play from Rich's shoes. So broadly speaking, we know that Rich has an uphill battle because effectively all three of his decks are dogs to all three of Tom's decks. Like somehow I don't know how this happened. Except for the near, twelve twelve. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Match, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Um, somehow Tom designed the kryptonite lineup against rich Shay's lineup but there is one caveat when you play a best of five matchup magic uh you have the potential to play more game ones than you do play post sideboard games so when you play best of three you'll never play more pre-sideboard games than post sideboard games at best Either you'll play, play one of each or you'll play or twice as exactly many. twice as many right but in a best of five, five matchup you have the you the range is flipped all of a sudden you play at least twice as many game ones the same amount or only one and a half times as many game twos so run this a thousand times right and you're going to play proportionally many 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 more pre sideboard games so what that means for rich is that all of a sudden parfait not a very good deck against the rock but it is a very good deck against the rock in game one you saw it when i played parfait against tom Matelski's rock in game one and effectively all it takes is an armageddon because tom's form of resistance is a measly one or two naturalized and for pernicious deed this can be very easily circumvented with some number of enlightened tutors uh and duresses and of, of course just jamming you know jamming permanence so uh so all of a sudden I would have Parfait as like probably a 35-40% win against the Rock. All of a sudden, Parfait kind of bumps up if it's a best of five because in game one, Parfait has maybe like a 60% favor. So Parfait favored in game ones against the Rock. Uh, it's unfavored in game ones against Blue White Dreadnought because Bentley made So at, at, that, at those ratios, Rich could be closing out the match in three games half the time. Uh, like could, that's actually pretty substantial. Uh, yeah, some. I mean, I, not three. Not like uh, you can't maximize it, right? So the most likely outcome of of two game ones between Parfait and the Rock is probably going to be one one. It's, it's like, yeah, but yeah, but it's like thirty six percent or yeah, something. Yeah. But if he gets the two, if he gets the two zero, and then he gets to play three, he gets to play three matches post board. Even if he's thirty percent post board, he can 
you know, no, no, he's land it, right. He's closing it out a high percentage of the time. Yeah, right. So I, I agree. So um, he's a dog in game ones against Blue White Dreadnought with Parfait. It does not get much better um, post board because Blue White Dreadnought's much, pretty resilient to Parfait. Um, and then Parfait against Landstill is, is also an uphill battle. So that basically bans Parfait unless Rich has the soul, the read, soul read that <laughs> Tom is going to pick the rock, which we know Tom's going to pick the rock. Um, or, uh, you know, that combined with him feeling that Goblins uh, is not going to be uh, a good pick uh, for the reasons that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share. So let's, let's go to Goblins. Goblins has... No, no, I think we should go to 12-12. No, 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 12-12 is last because that's, the, that's okay. the deck that we think he's going to pick. So, so the, the, well, that's the deck everyone thinks he's going to pick. Uh, based I on think emotions. he's going to pick Goblins. You think? Oh, I converted you because you did not think that to begin with. Yeah, because but the, the I thought about it more and more because Rich just doesn't have the okay. So just just dial it back to Iron Man versus the Hulk era, right? Yeah. I was so excited to play Lanny Rock in the finals of this meetup against Lanny because you were playing twelve twelve, and I was just like, oh, I'm gonna crush him, right? But what ended up happening was we split game one and game two. You stole game one. You stole game one by executing your decks plan yeah, I, sold, I sold game one <laughs> you by just playing dreadnought and stifling made a dreadnought trigger. and attacked me with it twice and i got my removal spell countered <laughs> so i'm like wow you stole game one so i i won game two it, it took a lot of work as, as i recall to win game two yep and, and tabi orangutan got in there 10 times yeah and in game three i had hella removal but i just i couldn't get through the winter orbs Right. And so the thing was like I had these decisions about winter orb or twelve twelve. Winter orb or twelve twelve. And I'm just like, Utabi orangutan against winter orb in this situation is really bad to days. Yes. And you had days, right? So here's the thing. If you didn't have that winter orb in play, I would have just raffle stopped you. Right? Like wouldn't have been close. But you did have the winter orb because that was your game plan. <laughs> and your deck is all full of you know, sleight of hands and impulses and ops and everything to find those things. Gushes. Rich doesn't have winter or so yeah. if you go to like an unlimited game where Thomas just flashing back call the herd and factor fiction and crows and tusker, like Rich is literally just gonna be like, all right, well, here's a two. All right, well, let's like, talk about that when we like, talk about two that draws a card because like, Rich, Rich does have one weapon that may may be nearly as good as Winter Orb, which we'll get to. But I want I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about analysis. Want to talk about Goblins game ones? So Goblins yeah. is the quintessential game one deck, and and like we said, we're gonna play a lot more game ones in a best of five, right? So, um, Goblins has great game one against the rock uh without fear going of engineer do you think it's great going second great it's great it's just term. great it's goblin, goblin ringleader like uh uh so the rock has these four pernicious uh four four dresses that do nothing and yeah. then and then goblins gets to either win the lottery with a lackey start or just play eight goblin ringleaders in the form of four matron four ringleader so, and I, and I, Go the rock just can't beat ringleader I mean, it I can, played, but <laughs> I played Jared Doucette at LobsterCon in game one. He was Goblins. I was the Rock. This is exactly the matchup we're talking about. I was playing Fran's physical copy of of Lanny Rock. Uh, Jared was playing. I assume the same seventy five cards that he's got in front of him at the PSS. Um, 
and Jared won game one. I drew all four duress in game one. Uh, that was a factor. And my God, if I could hit a goblin ringleader like Jared Doucette, I would never play any other deck. <laughs> that guy hits four goblins every time. Yeah. True or false? Yep, true, true. Plot <laughs> every armor. Every time it's plot, four goblins. Plot, plot armor is yeah, serving so. the... He, he just starts with Goblin Recruiter as his companion, and it costs zero mana. Um, so, so, yeah, so, I, I mean, I lost game one. Yeah, I so agree. Game, game ones are extremely favor- favorable for, for Goblins uh, into the Rock. Uh, against Dreadnought, Dreadnought is actually uh, typically favored because Goblins is just going to be a lot colder to a turn two Dreadnought, and we know that... Oh, I'm sorry, you're, you're now talking about Goblins versus Dreadnought? Uh, that's because Dreadnought is in Tom's lineup. Oh, is in Tom's yeah, lineup. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So Tom's, t- we we've tested this at length. Goblins wins in wins more matches, but fewer game ones. Um, and goblins into uh, landstill, I imagine is it's also the case that goblins is going to steal more game ones. I've, although I could just, anecdotally myself, as I've played landstill in a lot of events, um, I have never lost this match. I have. I don't know if I've ever won a game one. <laughs> yeah. So I, I assume I've won a game one somewhere, <laughs> but I don't remember it. And I've never lost the match though. Right. Yeah. So if you're talking about game ones being of magnified importance, that's not good. For that's not good for land still. So this is why we land on rich, uh, being sort of mathematically backed as, as goblins being the top choice. However, yeah. It turns out that Rich Shea, in all of his ability, seems to struggle with making this Goblins deck function. And out of he was pure... he, he was over with Goblins. Yeah, in the, yeah. In the and, round round, right? and 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 it appears that discomfort. I mean, this discomfort could be so strong that despite the overwhelming, I believe it to be overwhelming. Maybe it's not overwhelming, but I I find it to be overwhelming. Despite the overwhelming likelihood that. Uh, goblins is mathematically the best pick it might not emotionally be the best pick but like i said Rich is a he's a robot person. yeah he's well he will choose the mathematically best deck. look we're talking about the spock the new spock that you know has sex he could be he could be a, <laughs> he could be sex spock in this scenario and be like well i'm not attracted to goblins so oh, I'm not gonna... Have you ever seen the new printing of Goblin Luring Leader? I wouldn't be attracted to the Goblins either. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's got he's got he's got guns. I, I could be convinced. Um, compared, he's got guns compared to old Ringleader. But in any case, we uh, final deck in Rich's lineup: Blue White Stifle Knot, the best deck in pre modern, without a doubt. Is it without a doubt? Or well, is it just- now we start to think that Goblins is the best deck. Everyone. I think Goblins, but- <laughs> Goblins is good. But after this week, uh, we'll find out. But uh, with Blue White Stifle Nut, uh, you have a uh, a triple header of uh, of probably bad matchups, with the exception of the Mirror. So, but it's even that's a coin flip. Yeah, it's right? closer like, it's to a, a coin weighted flip. coin flip, but it's a coin flip. Yeah, I mean, it's actually very complicated. So we'll, we'll get to that last. Uh, to start with, Blue White Stifle Knot, not very good against Landstill. It does have one thing, which is that if it can get a meddling mage on the table, norming, naming sorts of plowshares, Landstill becomes very, very cold. It's um, just clunky. But, right? So I, I let me just raise something, which is the fact that Tom is on the play is kind of a big deal in this matchup because he could just land. Stand still. Yeah. No, just play stand still. 
Like so, you just play standstill before um, before uh, Rich does anything. He basically loses the game on the spot. You can't just give three cards to 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 Tom. He'll, he'll crush you. That's the that's the problem because Tom is going to stop playing lands after Rich is going to stop playing lands. You can't just leave him in a position where he has three more lands because like a Mistress Factory beats uh, Rich's Plan B, and a thousand things beat his Plan A. That's the well. In game one, it's actually at least a little bit closer because um, you're you're trying to so like humility is check mark against uh, Rich because he has no way to interact with it um, once it's on the table. So Tom is going to have that going for him. Um, but uh, barring humility, after that meddling mage is on the table, I think all that Tom can do is cast Wrath of God. Um, I'm going to pull well, up this can, list just to be sure. He can destroy dreadnoughts with his enchantment artifact. Right, but he's going to be looking at a much and lower can, density of that. And he can counterspell them. Yeah, but a Mistress Factory beats Plan B. That's the problem. It's, like, it's not like Rich can ever attack with that meddling mage. No, I, I agree. I'm just saying that like, if Tom is cut off of... like we, we test, When we test the match, uh, a, a meddling mage naming Source of Plashers is extremely awkward for Tom. It's extremely relevant. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, uh, you know, Tom left with uh yeah basically his outs once that once that uh mage is in play uh become humility wrath of god for the mage one copy of humility two copies of wrath of god and then of course uh to interact with um dreadnought he has his full counterspell suite uh, in addition to two disenchants so uh it becomes it becomes a very difficult game to play and we tested and yeah fundamentally it was just kind of like meddling mage on plowshares uh, makes a big difference moving on to how both players can sideboard this tom gains three copies of a null um an additional wrath of god sh should he want it his own copies of meddling mage which are going those to are 100 percent yeah in. which are going to make it very Along awkward with the null. to rich yeah uh, because rich could potentially lock himself out of swords of plowsharing's tom's meddling mage and then he'll <laughs> only have two last breath to rely on or do you think he's going to bring last breath in in this matchup if he, Does if, he have to? If this became the mat matchup, he absolutely would have to because his first yeah. meddling mage still has to name Plow. His second meddling mage will have to name meddling mage. So uh, if if Tom then answers with a meddling mage naming Dreadnought, then all of a sudden Rich can't play Dreadnoughts until he casts Last Breath, in which case he would need that Last Breath. And then he just loses 100% of the time. Exactly. To a so I might, I might even... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I might even... Um, I might even play uh, the first meddling mage naming meddling mage, uh, given this play pattern. Yeah, it's really, really. You really don't really want to lock yourself out of your own pile yeah. shares. Um, but uh, the bigger problem is that Tom Tom's technology level can escape the brain freeze plan. That's the that's the really the big issue. So yeah, so um, we have uh, the one seal of cleansing, the one chain of vapor, and the one arcane lab. So the, with this one copy of arcane lab, he can he just aces the game however uh rich is a pretty sharp opponent if rich finds his one of two disenchant before tom finds the one arcane lab rich can simply sandbag a dis disenchant and the mana to cast it uh until the turn that tom uh tom casts arcane lab so it's not a foolproof strategy but uh it's just a very good one tom just has a large density and what's really great about landstill is that landstill can be the beatdown against Blue-Eyed Dreadnought. Blue-Eyed Dreadnought, given unlimited time, can definitely get to a point where this brain freeze plan becomes very alive. But faced with 
you know, up to maybe four damage a turn between Mischievous Factories and Decree of Justice uh, tokens, all of a sudden, uh, it's possible that Tom can just straight up try to outrace. Tom uh, has a disenchant, not seal cleansing, right? He has two disenchant main and one seal cleansing in the sideboard. So, yeah, just small note: if you're going to be a land seal aficionado, I think you should play seal. I still play seal cleansing, no disenchant. I think you should play seal cleansing, not disenchant. And the reason for that is in a sideboarded game. You could just play Meddling Mage on Disenchant and pass so that you can cover your Arcane Lab. The problem is, if you cast your Arcane Lab, that's your spell for the turn they cast Disenchant, you can't counter spell. Yeah. Right? So you just play Meddling Mage on on uh, on Disenchant, and then it, it just... They have to stop the Arcane Lab from resolving now. If they if they don't, they just lose the game. Yeah, that's, a, that's, like a, that's definitely a tricky angle. Uh, moving on to blue white dreadnought versus the rock uh, dreadnought again likely going to be uh, in kind of a good place in game ones, but we've played plenty of game ones when we tested. That's where, a very goes either way. Yeah, it can definitely go either way. My expectation would be a one one split, um, and a one one split of course favors the post board deck because then the post board deck just needs to win two out of the three post board games. Yeah, so rich gains very little, yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, deep analysis is good. Yeah, so. Uh, this would be a good time to talk about deep analysis. We we were testing uh, last night. <laughs> oh uh, my god! Tom 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 says to me. Tom says to me. He's just like I think I like my spot here. Like it, it doesn't look that good for you. And I'm like, I don't know, Tom. And then I cast deep analysis. Then and I then, switched my screen to yeah. look at your side. Yeah. And I was just like, Where did all these cards come Where from? The, but the, the, your hand was nothing. And then I switched to looking at your hand, and you had like. Two vision charms, two dreadnoughts, and a stifle. And I was just like, can't win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all bases are covered. Yeah, we were we were in a pretty good position. So while we favor the winner or Armageddon uh stuff out of the dreadnought sideboard, uh deep analysis doing a pretty good Armageddon impression in that specific game. Four cards is a lot of cards. Um so uh, that said, we still like the rock post board. Rock gains the additional two naturalizes, a smother, crumble. And, and edict, crumble, um, crumble, crumble. and uh, yeah, and crumble. Just like just like the good stuff. Like, uh, so sorry, I was you think Rich stuff. would sideboard in a null, right? Yeah, I think that Rich would just bring in uh, two and all, uh, two and all, one deep analysis. I think that Rich would sideboard out the two swords to plowshares. Uh, because I also found them to be pretty anemic. They don't really cash in versus anything except for a Ravenous Bailoth. Treetop Village. Treetop Village. Yeah, a Ravenous Bailoth, a Treetop Village, they're pretty bad against a Call the Herd token. And ultimately, um, because this match, the only way that Rich wins is on volume uh, uh, and, and and pure pure power of overwhelming Tom. Um, uh, he, he can't really stand to have these, like, you know, Cards that would like at least at the, at their best cycle, right? I plow the thing that you did for the turn, then I get my draw step. Now, we found a very interesting option for Tom in his sideboard strategy against Blue White Knot. What what do we what do we what did we arrive at as a team? I think he should side out recurring nightmare and all four deeds. And the reason I think that is because if Rich is gonna side in a null, then he can strand the annuls. And the other thing is that, like, in testing, and I don't know if Rich will do this, but you were naming Pernicious Deed with your first meddling mage, like, almost every time. So if that's the if that's the thing, we can gain a ton of virtual card advantage by just not having Deed in our deck. And so 
what we are finding over and over again is that the games of the rock is winning it's because it can deploy a bunch of cheap cards be they vendetta crumble naturalize and that the games that it's relying on cards like pernicious deed are the ones where it's getting stuck by days right <laughs> so just not having it in your deck is an interesting option uh if it if it messes up the first meddling mage and it messes up all these annuls that might be getting signed yeah and i i think that it's plausible that rich might run out his first meddling mage naming card like naturalize but it is well, there's very... definitely for naturalize after side exactly but it is very very dangerous um for tom to be able to resolve a discard spell clear the way and then put pernicious deed on the table because then rich's range for protecting a dreadnought becomes just stifled. he has a triple combo right no yeah. he can you can vision well you can vision charm as well but Cypher's um, obviously better because yeah, yeah, Cypher, yeah, Cypher's a lot better because they'll get the attack. But uh, I, I wanted to add one more thing, which is just that uh, the optimal play pattern from the side of the rock with a pernicious deed on the table is to simply sandbag and cabal therapy. And once the rock, uh, the blue eyed dreadnought player goes for a dreadnought with a deed on the table, then you can just therapy away, vision charm or stifle, you know, whatever, whatever you think is the problem, and your deed is going to get away scot free and. You'll also catch any meddling mages that are straggling on the board at the same time. So we still so, think, I mean, Deed's still powerful in that scenario, but... Well, there's a reason that he would be siding in a null. There's a reason that he would exactly, be exactly. a Exactly, exactly. It is mage. the most powerful card in the other deck. Um, but this specific sideboard juke, uh, you know, I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fun. And in a best of five, you can just board those Deeds in and out. You can just be like, after you think that Rich has caught onto the plan, just bring the Deeds back in. Like Rich is never gonna know, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I think as a heuristic, it, it is very like it is very advantageous for you to name Pernicious Deed with Meddling Mage. Um, but your your range also for Meddling Mage names loosens up if you have access to a null, uh, and you know you can always annul a Pernicious Deed. Two thousand five U.S. National Championship. It's the championship match. Antonino Derosa is playing a a blue Tron deck. I want to say against a Rats deck in the top eight and uh his opponent's got like you know chittering rats or something just discarding rats right so um it's game two and he like does some sort of duress and he's just like he didn't have the mana leak right and ants i think on the draw in game two and he's like, uh, testing against your deck you know mana leak just wasn't good etc right sides it out and then um so it's game three or what i don't remember who wins that game but then the next game his opponent like taps out for chittering rats he's gonna set up ink guy's servant of oni or whatever and ants looks like gotcha <laughs> and he man leaks the chittering rats <laughs> untaps and lands you know whatever whatever sweet blue creature that he's in maybe he was playing like the zero cast cost two fours like i mean i think he was the tron deck Spire there are a ton of good blue decks <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah tom tom getting to play mind games around around those meddling mages is gonna be good uh, yeah, post sideboard, we love the rock against Blue White Dreadnought. Um, which. Well, we love the rock in all three matchups post sideboard, right? The problem is in a best of five, you might be back against. You the might wall. be back against the wall, against. Uh, uh, likely against goblins, and then uh, reasonably likely against Parche. So, uh, all that said, uh, you know, that's our analysis. We think that Rich Shea brings goblins, and we think that Jared Dissette brings goblins, and we also think that given all of this, given how often goblins wins game ones, um, you know, 
the the little green men or little red men, depending on uh, your perspective, might might actually just be the best deck in pre-modern. Um, yeah. So I thought that I was gonna be testing one of the decks I might potentially play at the one point five at the meetup this week, and it turns out I did. <laughs> Man, Goblins is really sweet. Um, and so, uh, F. Palouche made a sweet Goblins deck, right? Uh, Tom used it to... What was the name of the tournament? He, I didn't realize you guys were playing a tournament finals? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like making fun... Like me and Fran were watching and making fun of you guys. Yeah, I mean, we had our, um, you know, no outside assistance. So I had my I had my um, my headset muted. But you and Fran can, of course, talk to each other in the chat while Bird yeah. my game. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for the listeners, um, the Magic Online scene is crazy. We're playing nonstop all the time. So every month we play a league. And then, or every sorry, every two weeks we play a league that runs over the course of two weeks. At the end of two weeks, the best performing people over the past four weeks play a playoff. And then every, uh, every six playoffs or whatever, we play a championship. So this was a playoff, 16-person bracket of the highest performing players from the last four weeks. Um, Tom and I met each other in the finals. I was playing my PSS replenish list plus one mana short um, in the sideboard because mana short is actually amazing. Uh, and yeah, uh, who had mana short in the sideboard of their replenish deck? I, I, I want to say like a year ago. Uh, you didn't have two copies. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> two copies. No, because I had to make room for thawing glaciers. Oh, no, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, effectively, a reverse mana short. <laughs> you you tap all your lands. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we probably need to get the fourth Exalted Angel in there. It's so good. I feel like one more game. I was like saying, yeah, that's a good idea to have that card. If you if you have that card, you got to play four. I think that was one of the big weaknesses I had in my red white deck last year was I just only had two in my sideboard. This is the best card every time I had it in my deck. Yeah. Hell of a card. Exalted Angel. Um, uh, So uh, Tom, uh, Tom was playing Franz Goblins. So wait, I mean, I don't know. Mike, I'm sitting here. I'm still loving Michael Hoyp. He's just like, you know, I don't need green sources. I need ancient tombs. And he just goes, he plays this. He just plays the four carps, the four wooded foothills, the one forest. That's nine sources. And then where you have City of Brass, Mossfire Valley. Mossfire Valley has been good. Uh, Love it. Maybe an extra wasteland. Michael Hoyp has opted for three copies of Ancient Tombs. What does three copies of Ancient Tombs get you? It gets you four f- copies of Siege Gang Siege Commander. Gang Commander. So, uh, I, what if I just played like Mono Red, take out all the green, and just played like all the Rishadon Ports, Wastelands, and Ancient Tombs? How about that? Uh, and I'm, in the main deck, I'm giving up two naturalized. Even then, you I couldn't can, swing it, right? Because you're talking about 12 colorless lands. But. But yeah, no, I mean, that's a deck. Like, it's, it's definitely a deck. And you're, uh, the answer that you have versus Oath of Druids is uh, Click Slither, Goblin Pyromancer. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think people are going to play Oath. Well, I mean, we know people are going to play Oath, actually. Well, yeah, so here's the thing that's crazy to me. I was looking at the top performing decks for this month. That mono green Thermokarst deck is like the third best deck this month. It won a bunch of like 40 plus person events. That thing does not look playable to me. Like, just stone not playable. So I don't think it won a 40-plus person event, um, but it certainly uh, has been putting up numbers online. Um, big shout-out, honestly, uh, to 
the homie TV Tyrant, a regular of the Magic Online series. He's playing, been playing this Mono Green Oath deck for a very long time. Uh, he's he's always been experimenting with uh, different concoctions. This is the one that kind of stuck and succeeded the most. Um, notable other prison players like Rick Thorson and Pablo Marcos have also picked it up and given it a spin. Uh, you know, a like combination of two explorations, a mulch, right? Like none of these numbers. Make well, let's any let's sense not talk about the bad cards in the deck, and let's talk about the good. That's just not cards. bad. It's just like so, it seems weird. So the internal synergy of the deck is the combination of the cards: Sphere of Resistance and Thermal Karsten, like whatever, uh, combined with an Oath Terravore package uh, to uh, race the creature decks. And uh, against non-creature decks, you can simply cast your Terravores. Um, but yeah, you just prison them out. You got Wasteland, you got Stone Rains, you've got uh, Stone but Rain like, Effects, rather. You've got Sphere of Resistance. You can, you can with ports, you can reliably put your opponent in a position where they can't cast any spells, and your treetop villages and mischievous factories can win the day. So, but serious question. This deck is a substantial dog to just anybody who has, like, a Gaia's Blessing and a Swords to Plowshares, right? Like, that's not a crazy no it's not it's statement not to me. it's not um so one thing is that against more controlling decks then it can execute its mistress factory um uh, treetop village plan so so you have access to all the man lands to to give yourself additional threats uh when you need them okay so it's so it's an impressive deck in that it's good at accomplishing um like exactly you know it's it's one Mono, like you know, monocolored decks in uh, in pre-modern, as we know, you're gonna get advantage by having access to really great utility lands, um, and and mana consistency, uh, and yeah, you know the combination of Sphere of Resistance and Thermos Car Winter's Grasp uh, and Rishon Port can't be understated. It can stop a lot of a lot of opposing decks from from getting things going. I think the only thing that I dislike about it is the inherently card disadvantageous Mox Diamonds. Can you believe it? Uh, and explorations, which uh, put this deck kind of in a weird place because the way that I see things going, you just like you benefit from hitting every single land drop, and you want to hit you want to hit more and more lands, right? Because you're casting Sierra's Resistance, you're casting you know you're activating Rishadun Port. So if you like, sure, turn one Sphere of Resistance is great, but if you're sinking that land into Mox Diamond and you're not like playing that land, um. That little bit of, of value could be used to to just tap your Rishadun port and get more activations in. Um, so this deck has got like twenty nine lands, four Mox Diamond, two Exploration. That's a lot of land, bro. Yeah, yeah that's six. Like Mox Diamond and Exploration do effectively the same thing. So, so why don't I just cut Mox Diamond and play more Exploration? I'm down to play. More exploration if you play more wild growth and mulch. I don't. Love yeah, I, I feel like I should just play wild growth and. Like, how many wild growth are in this deck? Uh, it depends like, on the pilot, but I would play. Some of I them have play, none. I would play every wild growth before any copies of Mox Diamond. Uh, so yeah, so like first turn wild growth, second turn thermocarst, right? Is the, is the yeah that would be the idea. And but this deck just how does it not have four mulch? If you're gonna play like tranquil, I, I think I would play four tranquil thicket. But if you're like tranquil thicket. Rishon Port Factory Wasteland. This is like a great mulch deck. And it can't be right to not have any Guy's Blessing package anywhere. No, no. You can't just have can't Gaia's, be right. Well, no. Guy's Blessing is just going to shuffle all your lands back for your Terravore. It just doesn't work. Yeah, but who cares about Terravore? What if instead of 
instead of windswept teeth i played wooded foothills and then i played like shard phoenix and crater hellion in my sideboard right like this deck has no defense like it i can't see it beating elves for example right you, you're leaning very hard on sphere of resistance for the elves matchup Oh, you might be onto something here. Honestly, I I like, am I'm inclined to agree that Shard Phoenix like is is going to be a lot more oppressive than Terravor against creature decks. And yeah, if and you're like, if you're playing against control decks, is play four factory four treetop village, then you're going to be in a pretty good spot against control decks, anyways. All things all things ignored. And then guys, and then like, just gives you you know just get, puts you in a decent spot to be in with. I mean, and then I just. Because this deck just plays Windswept Teeth for no reason other than to grow Terrible, right? We could give it a reason by playing Mountain, uh, and then um, I could play Red Blasts, which, like, this deck seems like it's loose against decks that Red Blast is good against. And um, it seems like you would not mind having a plan B of summoning a Shard Phoenix or two. Yeah, I mean, um, Shard Phoenix is a great threat against Control Deck, so... So, like... I mean, like, nobody's. I mean, a great I, thread in that it doesn't get source of plowshares. So yeah, but like, I mean, incumbent in that is that you're going to be playing some guy, like at least two guys blessings. But like, like a lot of these sideboard cards just are not impressing anybody, right? Yeah, like, green mono green doesn't have access to a particularly exciting side. I mean, it's like black vice is cool. Why don't you play the fourth one? I mean, I guess I guess curse totem plus fear of resistance. Is hell on earth for elves? Like between those two cards, maybe. But I mean, I hate Sphere of Resistance in so far that, like, I'm a Mox Diamond deck, right? Like, this seems super awkward. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think once you start fl- splashing colors, Moxes all of a sudden look look better again. But it's hard to say. And so I, I've only ever I own a set of Sphere of Resistance. I've only ever played them in one tournament. It was a nine round PTQ in. Uh, April of 1999. Uh, I won that PTQ, then came home back to Ohio and wrote the article, Who's the Beatdown? So maybe um, I should, tr- I mean, it's dust off the old sphere of resistances. That's a thing. Yeah, not a bad plan. I mean, I, I'm definitely um, on board. Uh, I would love to cast sphere of resistance off uh, Ancient Tomb, but uh, maybe that's too much to ask. Ancient Tomb does not quite gas up the uh, 1GG thermocarstone. So I, I, I did put four Terrivores in my shopping cart last night, promo code Flores. Nice. Um, just, so, all, just all, all like fifty cents, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, some of these cards are like crazy expensive, and I'm like, I'm not buying that. <laughs> you can get some um, old border Sylvans now, old border English Sylvans, thanks to. I own a lot so. of uh, FBB yeah. Sylvans, but they're in Ohio. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, all the Sylvans I have in New York are white bordered. Well, but I have like a have lot to... of them. They're expensive too. That's weird. White bordered Sylvans. Yeah, uh, people love. Playing Sylvan Library and Commander. It's actually like a big hot topic. You've got 40 life, so you can cash in that Sylvan all day. So here's a stupid question. Why would I not like sideboard a third Sylvan Library and like four abundances? Like if I just cast abundance, don't I win the game in this deck? Uh that's a that's a super pertinent question. I don't know. I mean, like I mean it's hard to cast abundance just... under a sphere of resistance. Yeah, I'm not playing some of these cards stink. I mean like Actually, Spirit of Resistance is one of the only good cards in this deck. <laughs> like, yeah, but you, you play maybe st- there's eight stone reigns because you have Spirit Resistance. Okay, so this deck's game plan against twelve twelve is to land a Spirit of Resistance, then hope they don't just beat you at some point. That's correct. I, I'm, I'm, well, this is a serious question. Well, conceivably, you can oath out a thirteen thirteen Terravor, and then you're also good. 
Yeah, they have Swords of Plowshares. Well, then you gain 13 life and you oath out a 2020 Terraform. Okay. So that's my game plan. Yeah. <laughs> Resolve Oath, Cross Fingers. That's my... Well, it's really good against Meddling Mage. Oath. Yeah. Okay. Unless the Meddling Mage is naming Oath of Druids. <laughs> Alright, so... I... Okay. But Sphere of we... Resistance also helps. What if I'm minus four Mox Diamond, plus two Exploration, plus three Mulch, and then I cut something else out of my life? I think... I think... 20 minutes into this conversation about Mona Green would be a good good time to talk about what what cards are in this list that you're looking at. Oh, okay. I've been getting after you for this, and so I'm 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 guilty of this. So I'm looking at uh, a version uh, on TC Dex right now, uh, played by Thursday is God Ricky Thorson out of Madison, Wisconsin. Shout out Ricky uh, Thorson. And it's a uh, he finished seventh out of 51 players, uh, and this deck list has four Terravore. Uh, Terravor, for those who don't know, is a type of Lurgoyf. Uh, so it's a 1GG for an XX Trample. Terravor's power and toughness are each equal to the number of land cards in all graveyards. So if, for example, you put a land in the graveyard via, I don't know, a Stone Rain of some sort, that would grow a Terravor. Or if you put a bunch of lands in the graveyard because you oathed one out without Gaia's Blessing in your deck, that would also grow a Terravor. This deck has defense in the form of a single natural eyes and a single moment's peace. <laughs> However, to be fair, the moment's peace, you're going to have access to it because to be the graveyard, you can flash it back, right? Uh, there is one mulch in this deck. I think I would want to play more mulch, as I said. I put 20 mulches in my cart last night. They were 35 cents. So I, I, bought, I bought out all the mulches. I might actually uh, have to hit you up for place yeah. mulches then. <laughs> so I bought all of them. Um, Four Thermocarsts, four Winter's Grasp. I don't... I assume I own these cards, but my god, it will have been pushing 30 years since I've thought about playing one, right? Um, two Exploration, which is good for the pocketbook. Exploration is an expensive card. I don't know how many I own. I assume I own four? I'm not sure. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it's been a while since I've been called upon to play an Exploration. Two Sylvan Libraries. I know I have a bunch of those handy. Four Oath of Druids, I have those in a sleeve already. Um, four Mox Diamond, I have proxies for this. <laughs> no comment! I literally threw cards at my screen just now. Uh, four Sphere Resistance, I own that. And then the lands I own. One Dust Bowl, two Tranquil Thicket. I think I would play four Tranquil Thicket. Uh, four Mistress Factory, four Rishon on Port, four Treetop Village, four Wasteland, four Windswept Teeth that have no text other than to grow uh, a Terravore. And six Forests. In the side, this sideboard is could could be improved. I think three black vice, uh, three cursed totem, three naturalized, three zurin orb. There's a classic. No way to exploit the zurin orb in this deck. It's not like uh, it's not like in it's not a, not a land tax deck. No. Yeah. So it's just a <laughs> you just like put a down payment of a card down for the future value of a healing salve. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's important versus burn. What can you say? Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm skeptical this is going to save you, but sure. Um, one choke. Choke seems like a great card in this deck, actually. Uh, one compost also seems like a. I mean, if people played black decks, maybe it's good against the rock. Uh, you know, when they when they pop their deed right you'll before draw blowing up all your permanents, you'll draw a card. Um, one Crozen Reclamation. That's that's a, that's a classic. So this deck. Uh, 
I can imagine it being optimized to be good, uh, but I think it it leaves something to be something to be uh, optimized at this point. Yeah, I, it's it's impressed me with what it's capable of. It's pretty soft to combo decks. I have Devour comboed out this deck. I have Replenish comboed out this deck, and of course, in the olden days, I have Parfait out this deck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This deck has got to be like a giant joke to Parfait. Yeah, it's... <laughs> like, never win, it's right? It's pretty... There's one naturalized. It's, it takes a while, but Parfait never loses. <laughs> but takes, I, how could you... It takes a long time, though. It like, takes, they, like, a really long time. I cast a Chroma Angel of Wrath for 11 mana through Sphere of Resistance <laughs> to win the match, so... Yeah, but I just can't imagine them ever... Also, this deck... This deck is really bad to Tormod's Crypt. Really bad to sword supply shares and really bad to guys blessing. So like three extremely widely trafficked cards. Well, like thankful, any th one of them. Puts thankfully, a hole parfait is the gone. Board. Long live, uh, Terrabor Oath. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, noted goblins. Noted. Uh, this is a great matchup for goblins to side in their their Tormod script, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great matchup for goblins. Period. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think if you check out Francisco's latest video, you can probably see an example of that. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure he alluded to that happening. Yeah, but Goblins is just the, the best deck in the format. Tonight. You can't expect to win them all, right? You just can't. So are we, on, are we resolved on Goblins is the best? Are we optimizing Goblins for 1.5? Because I have two weeks to practice. I mean, I personally would rather play like a bad deck than Goblins, but you and Tom are okay, like... Would the, you rather have a bad deck than win $1,000? I don't think we're top prizing 1000 I forgot what the split was, but it's not 1000 it's I like, mean, look, it's, it's like going to be fives. me, you, and Tom in the top four, and then I guess what do we do? Well, whoever's responsible for taking out the other guy in the top four, and then we just split the money. Oh, no, we're not doing that. We're definitely not doing that. If we're, you see me and Tom in the top four, you're, you're going to play for blood? Oh, hell's, hell's to the yeah. Hell's Is, to are the you going to rescind that when I win the roll against you? No, because <laughs> there's no roll in the top eight, Mike. It's determined Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, you're in the top four. We're sitting across the table. Winner of our match is going to play the winner of Tom Matelski and whoever is the bad luck of being paired against Tom Matelski. And I'm higher seed than you. You still don't want to split? Goblin's oh, Mirror? No, oh, man. I'm you have gonna, no direct I'm answers. On, to... I'm going to open on Flooded Strand, Mox Diamond, Query and Dryad. Go. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Let me, let me introduce you to my buddy, God, <laughs> Jim Palm Incinerator. This is how we'll end this one, right? So me and Lynn and a bunch of other friends are at John Finkel's house this week, right? And so we were talking about Taylor Swift. And John, like, and I, it took me like two days to figure out how stupid and dumb and wrong John was. Because John's looks never wrong, right? So he's just like, so you're telling me the same person is the best songwriter on earth of, of all time. I said, I never said of all time. I said of the generation, right? So the so like best, okay, fine. The best songwriter of the generation but also the best marketer and also the best um, and also the best touring musician, right? All those is, do you really think it's possible for somebody to be the best songwriter and the best marketer, right? And somebody else isn't just running this and the best touring musician. And, and I was just like, you know, mathematically, this doesn't make sense. So yesterday I texted John, I said, of all the people I know, I would have taken this criticism for everybody else. You're the stupidest fucking, you know, whatever. Do you think it's very possible for someone to be the best magic player, the best sports gambler, the best blackjack player, <laughs> all in one person? <laughs> because I know someone who is the best magic. 
uncontrovertibly the best blackjack player of all time and the best sports gambler of all time. So, like, this is kind of weird. He runs a hedge fund. You might want to invest with him. Right? Like, so. Well, the Taylor Swift team is awaiting uh, John's application. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, Taylor Swift herself is not, like, is not, like, a marketer, right? But she, like, she understands. I mean, I don't know. What's what's your what's your um? Give me give me your thesis on why she's the best marketer. Uh, she's definitely the best product. <laughs> like, even if she didn't figure everything out herself, I mean, like, think about like I, I just like like I'm an S tier marketer, right? I used to be like I would say like I was an S tier copywriter and S T media buyer, and I think I was probably still like if I actually still bought media, I'd probably be an S tier media buyer. So I not really haven't bought media myself in a long time, but like I ended up being a, a great like leader of marketers as a result of my ability to teach other people how to do the things that I did at very at a very high level. So I think that even if she's not the best marketer herself, she assembled this sort of like machine of human beings and brand kind of overlapping. Yeah. I mean she's uh, clearly res- she resulted cl- in this thing. She's you know? clearly one of the most hands-on musicians when it comes to like managing her brand that then that you see like out of anyone. Like she's just a lot more connected with like you know what she's doing like it's not it's not like oh like there's somebody like who's clearly behind the scenes i mean there's obviously thousands of people behind the scenes but she she seems to have her hands in everything i mean she's like directing you know one of my favorite like coming from my field so joseph khan is like a widely respected cult director was like directing all the taylor swift music videos up until taylor swift started directing them herself um and I actually thought that's kind of neat because you can actually just see the Joseph Con. Like she was working with this guy for you know all of the nineteen like up all of the music videos from the nineteen eighty nine era, like the, the crazy yep. ones, the Bad Blood ones, Wildest Dreams, um, notably Blank Space, like one of my favorite music videos. Those are all directed I, I, by Joseph Con. The weird thing, Blank Space is one of the greatest music videos of all time, and I wish it did not exist. But I'll tell you why afterwards. Okay, so. Uh, so Joseph Kahn has just like this complete, like, it, it's funny. It's like funny to mash up with Taylor Swift, who's just like, you know, uh, we know that she's not vanilla, but she is, you know, kind of like this outwardly vanilla, like pop icon. And and he's always just, he's always just putting her in the most over the top music video, uh, stuff. And then, yeah, she's just, she just brought that same kind of humor and, and absurdity to the music videos that, you know, she started directing. So, uh, I guess, I guess, I guess I buy it. I mean, she's uh, Taylor Swift is just the best, right? Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, do you know what break, blow, burn is? No. It's a it's a fragment of a line from John Donne, right? Uh, and uh, a few years ago, it, it's a, pushing 20 years at this point, I think, Camille Paglia, the feminist intellectual, wrote a book called Break, Blow, Burn, and it was just 12 close readings of poems, including this John, John Donne poem. And it was a surprise smash hit, right? Like... Not a hit amongst like, here's a college professor writing close readings of poems, you know, they're in a journal or whatever. It like literally was a bestseller. So I've always like super admired that. And like, I personally had this aspiration. I'm like, I would love to write a a piece of analytics that was like approachable by people. And it was about things that they kind of liked, but it was still intellectual. And um, so the, the, album 1989 came out and i listened to it and i studied it and especially like shake it off is the pop song equivalent of uh michelangelo's sistine chapel ceiling right like i I think just people just don't get what a masterwork shake it off is right and um 
I'm like, all right, this is my chance. I'm going to write a close reading of all the, of all the songs from 1989 and, and blank space in particular is this incredible piece of poetry. Right. And then the stupid music video comes out. And when the music video came out, it's so iconic. There is no other possible interpretation of blank space except for Taylor Swift and lingerie bashing a convertible to death with a golf club, right? Like, like <laughs> once you've seen that, there's no, no, it doesn't matter how well reasoned it is, right? <laughs> That's the reading of blank space. So it ruined, I, I had this dream for like 20 years of, uh, of writing uh, kind of a pop intellectual, you know, poetry close, which is what I did in college. And um, she ruined it by making a music video that was too good. <laughs> so, so damn you, Taylor. Uh, and Joseph so, Kahn. <laughs> so uh, this is what I would say about Taylor Swift. Um, so uh, an argument I made back to John was she was already the greatest songwriter of her generation like more than 10 years ago. So uh, the third Taylor Swift song I'd ever listened to was Back to December, and I, I had no opinion of her. The, I, the only song I had ever heard was... Uh, love story and the only thing I knew about her was the Kanye West sort of fracas um, that's all I knew so I assumed she was just there's beautiful blonde pop stars that come out every year and I'm just she's just an interchangeable beautiful blonde pop star whatever I don't even know there I, I see them on in the gym their music videos are playing all the time she's just one of those right so I listened as so I heard this Rolling Stone um, reviewer say she was a great songwriter of her generation blah 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 so i decided to download some of her music i listened to it and back to december is literally the best sad song of all time uh and i was just like well she is in fact the greatest songwriter of all time and she already was uh what people don't know is she, how good of a songwriter she is rihanna's biggest hit is just a taylor swift cast off right so <laughs> taylor swift wrote this song she's like so she played it for her then boyfriend calvin harris in the car and She's like, I, I wrote this song. What do you think? And he's like, this song is too good for you to do. Was the, was it, was the, and you know, like that, if you do this song, people are just going to draft a narrative on this, right? So she gave it to Rihanna and it became Rihanna's biggest hit. So I uh, have to tell the listeners what song it was, Mike. I think that the listeners can look it up on Google. <laughs> it's widely Googleable, but it is Rihanna's biggest hit by like a factor of 100. And it's a very good song. And if you go on YouTube, you can listen to Taylor singing it uh, from a leaked uh, from a leaked recording, and you can listen to Rihanna singing it. And you can tell me which one you think is better. Um, but that is a that is a factual story. It's Calvin Harris, the famous DJ who was then her boyfriend, said the song was too good for her to do, uh, which is a crazy thing to say to someone who is currently performing in the Eras tour. Yeah, <laughs> that the idea that there is a song that is too good for her to perform is Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's crazy. I think the next time that I I brew up like like my masterpiece deck, yeah, um, and it starts with four Mox Diamond, four Ancient Tomb. I'm gonna like look at it and be like, Mike, I can't, I can't play this. People won't, people won't. Like, they're gonna or, say that you're just you just dated Mox Diamond yeah, and Ancient Tomb. Exactly. But this is your revenge song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all they're gonna say. I need, like, Mike, I need you. Uh, I need you to Calvin Harris this one for me and find find me find me a vessel to to deliver my message to the world. Who would who would be the ideal candidate? Probably just Flynn Black. No, it can't you, be Sam because Sam's also yeah. Sam's also too you know 
too Sam is too um you know all 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 of Sam's work comes with like a caveat of Sam's bias. But I think it would be Flint. I think uh, if I came up if I think if I came with like up with like the truly like my mass like my Sistine Chapel, like the, the the best deck that I ever brewed, I would give it to Flint to play. Flint and no one else. Uh so the uh song is This Is What You Came For. And the, <laughs> and the opening line of the Wikipedia entry is, this is what you came for, is a song by Scottish DJ Calvin Harris featuring Barbadian singer Rihanna. <laughs> so, uh, LOL. <laughs> Somebody got paid for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lanny. Yeah, you should give it to Flint. <laughs> I tell you what, why don't I hand it to Flint? Give me the list. <laughs> we'll, we'll give the list right before LobsterCon so Flint has time to practice it. And four no leaks this time. And, uh, four nope. and four Simon, you say. But you can't play this. It's too good for you. I can't play it. It's too, yeah. it's too good. How, how hilarious is that? This is what you came for. Is this a song by Scott DJ Calvin Harris featuring Barbados. <laughs> yeah. They can't keep getting away with it. The Calvin Harris is the world. I mean, we haven't even started on, on Ed Sheeran, but I, I guess we'll have to save that one for Taylor podcast. Swift literally wrote the song. How is that insane? <laughs> All right. Be like, like, here's my Calvin Harris song. You stole my hit and gave it to another girl. Such is such is life, right? Such T- is, uh, Taylor probably got paid for that song. I think she's right? doing okay. I think she's doing okay. All things considered, she might she she had a few more in the bag. She had a few more arrows in the quiver, Mike. I mean, that song was like 2016. So <laughs> how many freaking? She puts out four albums a year. She is a machine. Yeah, I mean the the whole. I mean the folk the folklore evermore. Uh, um, Midnight's run is is pretty is pretty unbelievable. And then I she's mean, been just like, but the thing is that the Taylor's versions that she drops in between, yeah. are all full albums. It's yep. like, oh, she just re released them, like except for she released twelve new songs on every one of them and made four music videos. Yep. Like, like every one of the Taylor's versions is a new album. It's literally insane. How does yeah. she have time That's to do that? That's all she does. And record and tour. And fall of an elliptical machine while listening to Drake. Like, <laughs> she has time for all those things, but she doesn't have time for love. Lady. She doesn't. She doesn't. I mean, no you can't blame love. her. You can't blame her. Like I, I just like I, like what you know. What are you gonna do? You just gotta. You just gotta let. She's married. She's married to the hustle. That's just. That's just how. It I goes. mean, if if my significant other gave away my best song <laughs> to another pop star, I might not have time for the love either. Yeah. Love Mike. Loves my colony. <laughs> Game over.